Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What with Dan and Julie. Today we've got Natasha on who is an archaeologist. Hi Natasha. Hiya. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to delve into the life of an archaeologist. Yes, us too. You know, we've had a couple of archaeologists on um, and one one quite recently and they're always super interesting careers. It is definitely... Um... A random conversation you may have with an archaeologist you never know which direction it will go that's just uh I'm sure you've experienced that now <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to jump straight in then and tell everyone a little bit about what you actually do sure so I'm a commercial field archaeologist so in the UK uh, we do have the commercial sector in the UK in the the states they call it CRM and what that means is I predominantly work in the construction side of the world so I work on pre-development sites. Um, anything to do with construction in general is where I personally am going to be involved in. So a part of planning permissions in the UK, we have something called a environmental impact assessment. And under that, you have heritage assets. And within that, you have the archaeological significance of something, if there is or if there is not. So my job is to, is to kind of evaluate what's going on. Is there some significance? Is there not significance? Um, and there are different sorts of uh, avenues we may approach to explore the archaeological uh, significance of that site um, it really is down to that so it seems my favorite word today which is significance uh, <laughs> but uh, that's what we do <laughs> so how did you get into this then where did the love for history and archaeology come from oh that's a great question a couple of things I mean I grew up my with my mother's fascination of ancient Egypt like most uh, people who actually get into archaeology, a lot of them have this sort of love for it or this awe for it. So I remember reading um, a book about Tutankhamun when I was about seven years old and there was this chap called Howard Carter and he was an archaeologist. And I was mm -hmm. like, hmm, what's that? Um, and did some digging uh, through the books, that is. And uh, <laughs> I, I was like, this is awesome. Like, I want to do this. So there was kind of that mainly and also... The school that I went to was bombed in World War II. So they had a lot of memorabilia up along the corridors. So kind of being both having this passion for history and then having this love of the ancient worlds, I think it just it just st stuck with me. And here I am. <laughs> <laughs> and what was, uh, did you tailor your education towards this? Did you go to sixth form and then on to university? Was your goal becoming an archaeologist? Oh, I have to look, I'm trying to think back to how I was feeling at that time. Um, it was always like in the back burner, like I was always thinking about it. And I just loved history and geography at school, in secondary school. I loved it. And when it came to sixth form, I was like, okay, let me do history and geography as an A-level. I remember there was an option to do archaeology, but it wasn't anywhere near me. It would take like two hours on a good day to commute to this uh, to Richmond College so I was like no I'm not going to do that gotta be realistic like uh, that would drive me nuts having to commute that much every day um, so I just stuck with history and geography and I did chemistry and, and I did media studies um, and then from that I just went and did my undergraduate of uh, archaeology and a bachelor of science at uh, Bournemouth University and then from that I got into commercial archaeology 
so being a commercial archaeologist is it a an all-rounder because we've had a few archaeologists as we were saying before we we jumped on um and, and they've sort of specialized in certain areas so we had an osteoarchaeologist um there's different areas within archaeology you can do and are you a generalist or do you specialize oh so I've been told that I should actually state that field archaeology is a specialism. It's kind of like a, a new term for a lot of people, but actually I do agree that field archaeology should be classed as its own uh, category, if you like, but it's mm -hmm. not really. Um, so I'm one of those people that I'm able to jump to a trench. I'm able to understand what is going on. We don't really always have a lot of information about what we're going to find, but from the years of experience of everyday working through different types of archaeological deposits, I'm able to kind of work out how old something is. May that be through the material culture. So like bits of glass or pottery or something else, like it all gives us indication of, you know, what was going on there. Um, so I would say field archaeology is my specialism, um, which is the excavation side of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, obviously for your field in field archaeology you obviously have a big developer wanting or a developer wanting to take over a bit of land and build houses on it what happens if you discover something quite interesting do you do you get to tell them to hold their guns a little bit uh put it this way they hate us yeah i, know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was the way it was gonna be they really hate us because people are so worried that we will push back their deadlines but actually and unfortunately, archaeology is like the cheapest industry to have on site, like in the sense of we don't cost that much compared to other contractors. So I don't know why they're always so worried that we're going to, you know, cause so much damage, so to speak, in their schedule. But um, yeah, sometimes we do. <laughs> sometimes we do delay the project. Sometimes we don't. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, like these really large ones, um, they've already kind of got a guideline of how long we'll be there for. So they'll be told, okay, they're for eight weeks or 16 weeks. And if they find uh, X amount of human remains or something structural, then there'll be an extension in that time. So it's kind of all in the, the fine line of uh, a contract, so to speak. So have you had the opportunity to work on some of the big London sites that have been recent? I mean, I know there was cross rail sites and I mean, so many uh, like HS2 sites popping up now. Is that kind of the thing that you work on? Yeah, so I have. I've, I've done a bit of it all. So I'm a London-based archaeologist, but with archaeology, you literally travel all over the UK. Uh, you go where the work is um, and you don't always have a choice of where you go. You're just told, can you please go there um, for a week and you end up being there for three months. Um, <laughs> it's literally what happens. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I have done a bit of HS2, actually quite a bit of HS2. I worked on the preliminary works, which means... Um, best way to describe this they kind of do something called uh we have geologists and uh, geological engineers and they look at the structures right so they can look at the ground they they do something called trial trenching which is what we do mm -hmm. but theirs is more to like test the ground so they'll go down like four meters and they want to see the natural geology to and then they will take samples and they do all these like compaction tests to see like um so for the civil engineers, they'll then be able to work out, OK, this is how much uh, concrete or reinforcement we need to put in for the bridge or for the road or something like that. That They kind of do that element. And as a part of that works, um, there was a time that I was the archaeologist monitoring the geological works and, and the engineers works. And that was way before uh, any large sort of excavations went on. 
Um, so this was a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, and I remember doing that slogging away f- for months, months and months. Because <laughs> there was a really great, uh, there was a great TV show or, or documentary series on the BBC where they followed the HS2 and they were they were digging up a graveyard, I think, like a Victorian graveyard um, yes. on one of the new stations. And it was just so interesting. Yeah, so that one, um, one of the supervisors was Jessica Bryan on it. And uh, there was mainly done, I think it was Mola uh, Headland. It was a joint... Uh, venture a lot of these large infrastructure jobs uh, companies will uh, join forces so to speak to to win the contracts um because you just need a lot of archaeologists so it makes sense um so yeah you're talking of the one in Houston now that was a really yeah I think they were there for like 18 months and I really liked that uh show because it did show what was going on like the grueling conditions that the archaeologists have to work in all day every day I mean you can see it like what they were digging through and then just the it's an actual cemetery site so it's dealing with that side of archaeology as well the very the human element of it so I I really enjoyed the show and and I'm happy that they got to to have a tv crew in to kind of see uh the organized chaos it is of being an archaeologist on a construction (laughs) site (laughs) Did, did you talking about the human side of it like digging up bones and stuff did that was that ever weird for you I don't know if it would be sort of a bit odd for me to to dig up human bones you know it is it's a weird one because my first ever dig was with Bournemouth in our first our first year at uni in the summer and we did have um some in situ so some some bodies we did have uh, undisturbed so I think kind of from the get-go of my experience in the field side of it that is so the excavation side I already had that um, experience with bodies and and the like the mentally I was kind of prepared for it so when you go into these sites you mentally have to be prepared um, and to say that of course when you're doing a cemetery site for more than um, a month for some individuals it's, it's very dis- difficult um, because you are literally every single day excavating, um, you know, a person. Um, but you, you're looking at the skeleton. So it comes with a kind of different territory, so to speak. So like me and some, some other supervisors, we have um, not only first aids, we also have mental first aid uh, qualifications as well. So just to make sure everyone's okay with their well-being. But it's like, it, I personally find it really interesting to, uh, to excavate human remains. Um, and something about the younger like the the children I, I, I don't know like I I find that quite interesting to excavate mm. a child or really like an infant you know like you do yeah. you get everything and you don't really know I mean sometimes we can see the grave cut so you roughly know okay that's quite small so then you're kind of okay there's going to be a child um and then obviously when it's adults it's not I don't know it's I guess you can kind of piece their story together a little bit and understand a bit more about them yeah exactly I mean we actually um I don't know if you guys know this on uh Morphore so Channel 4's Morphore we have uh the Great British Dig oh yeah I've yeah I've watched a couple of those have you yes (laughs) okay so um do you remember the one in Massam Oh, I don't know. I can't. Um... So it's the one with the bodies, basically, the one that had the cemetery site. So it was, um, it was, what was it? 
oh my goodness I was excavating and I can't even remember <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens everything blurs together but what I liked about that episode is that you got to see um not only like how the archaeologists were able to uh, describe what was going on but local residents as well and their reactions to seeing um you know a skeleton that's not been seen for hundreds of years um it's really interesting to to see it and to be there and experience it yeah i suppose that is the experience most people don't actually get to be involved in um for for you though what's what's it like what's what's the process like of you go to a site and let's say you do find something what what, what happens like what's what do you do God, how, how to make it not sound boring. Um, <laughs> um, you know, so every job is a bit different. Um, there are ones where you just are watching uh, contractors do their stuff. So they're like with large mechanical excavators, so like JCBs, but, but a lot bigger. Um, they're coming in and they're excavating it and you're kind of watching what they're doing. Um, they're at, or on the flip side, um, you're working with this, the machines um, to come down to an archaeological layer and you jump in, you record. But really it's like quite metho- methodological. So there's a, re- there's, a, it's a, there's a lot of things we have to do, which people don't see. Um, so some people don't understand why we might be writing so much information or uh, we might be taking loads of photos and then we're digging something and then we're jumping in and out of the trenches. We're thinking about stuff. We're talking to each other for interpretations. There's so many like different processes that goes on in the space of 10 minutes. Um, it's pretty crazy sometimes but you know every site is different which is not really answering your question at all but unfortunately (laughs) it's the truth (laughs) and I guess for you doing this archaeology and seeing all these sites what's something that you're really excited for um, developments in the industry so I think I was watching a documentary on channel four and they were starting to use satellite imagery um, to find uh, sites in Egypt, basically, that hadn't been been uncovered yet. Um, and that was a new technology they were using and bringing into archaeology. Is there anything that's really exciting you about the potential of the future of archaeology? I love the fact of how accessible it is now to use drones. I don't know if you guys remember, there was the drought, I think, like two years ago in the uk uh yeah Um, faintly yeah yeah so basically people started um just local residents were flying their drones and they started to capture uh like crop marks or earthworks which means something's gone on at some point in time and you can see it from the from like a bird's eye view you can kind of see what's going on in that area to indicate that there might be some archaeology there something structural i remember that quite well actually I remember going through, I can't remember where I was looking it up, but I do remember scrolling through a lot of pictures of people posting them and, and you could actually see potential like buildings under the ground. Yeah. So that's what I love. The fact that now we have so much technology at our fingertips and we can use it. Um, of course, it's all down to money. And if the company would give us those um, equipment, however, it's definitely becoming cheaper. So therefore we're more likely to use it on site. And like, even now on the new iPhones, you can, you can do LIDAR on your phone. So you can create like a 3D image literally as you're standing there in the trench. Um, so I just I just love the fact that technology is becoming easier to use and it's more accessible. And I'm excited to see like how we can use it in the industry. Yeah, certainly. Um, what would be some personality traits um, that you see in yourself that you think really help being in this this field of work? You know, you have to be versatile. 
um, you work with a lot of different people, a lot of different contractors, you're moving around a lot. So having that versatility is like the first thing. Secondly, like people skills. Again, you're meeting so many different types of people. You're interacting all the time with different disciplines. Some people know archaeology, some people know nothing about it. Uh, because sometimes like the middle people uh, between the contractors and the consultants and our company, but we the archaeologists on site have to answer all these questions from different kinds of individuals who want different bits of information from us. So that's another skill. Um, and just not forgetting to enjoy what you do. Uh, try not to get too engrossed and like if it's really bad weather you have to mentally tell yourself like don't get drawn in by the fact that it's like torrential rain and you still have to get your job done and you're in a field or something you know like of course because if it's safe to work in then you have to work in it mm. if, uh, if it's safe conditions like and the, you know you got you got a deadline there's no <laughs> choice like you literally got got to get your job done and um you know some supervisors may be like okay well it's safe to work so go on, on or you know <laughs> like it's hard also um safety like health and safety just you have to always be aware of what's around you so you have to always be on it because you're not just thinking about the archaeology you're thinking about everything that's happening around you so be prepared to do like an asbestos awareness course um even lead and um some other sort of like gap i know people who have worked in these like bizarre situations where they're in complete like hazmat suits they're like really? the sort of plastic yeah like a plasticky oh one they're in God. and you have to like dig in that right you're doing your work in this whole like this whole outfit gas mask star and everything <laughs> it's like full-on like what you see in the films but literally they're just doing archaeology so be prepared to be like wearing the most random clothes you'd never think of because it's all about ppe so personal protective equipment so be prepared to be like to look like a contractor on a, a construction site but for nobody to know that you're an archaeologist as well <laughs> people just to be confused <laughs> while you're there <laughs> so we like to give our listeners something they can sort of uh, put into practice so we noticed you've kind of really taken on the social media content production and you've got a youtube channel um and do you think that's helped you maybe stand out in the industry or get any opportunities or build your personal brand within the industry? Definitely. Yeah, it has. I mean, for me, I've always wanted to be a community archaeologist. So like a public archaeologist, be able to engage with the public about what's going on in their area. That's always been like the goal for me. However, getting a job in that is extremely difficult. So I took it kind of on myself in the sense of, I'm not going to get a job like this. No company is going to give it to me because literally one person in a company who does that. So I'm just going to create my own job, so to speak, and I'll just go on social media. Like I'll just start making little videos and like sort of how tos and tutorials, and I'll just start interviewing people. And that's kind of what I, what I did. And actually, I mean, would I be speaking to you right now if I hadn't jumped on social media? Probably not. And mm. you know, it's one of those things like there's many of us who just suddenly take that shift and want to make information as accessible and, you know, as broad as possible. And that's, that's the end goal for me, spread as much information as possible. It's so interesting. You know, we keep hearing this from our guests. If you want to do something and it's not necessarily available to you or, or there's hardly any jobs in it, 
you just kind of have to do it yourself. Use social media, use the internet, use all these tools available to you. Like we had um, a public historian on called um, Olivia, and she said exactly the same thing. And the amount of opportunities she's now had off the back of just creating content that people are interested in, it's, it's amazing. 100%. I mean, sometimes like no, no one's ever going to put anything on a plate for you. You've got to work for it. Um, and, you know, by doing this, I mean, now like I'm on, I'm on, I'm a channel four presenter now because I, I went out and I was like, I want to disseminate information as much as possible to as many people as possible. And from that goal, I've been given the opportunity to be a co-presenter on the Great British Dig. How cool is uh, that? And, you know, it's awesome. And then obviously I've been able to travel as well. And, you know, I've done filming in Egypt and Ukraine and Canada and somewhere else that I can't remember right now. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's talk a little bit about the uh, Great British Dig. How did you get involved and, and how's it been going? Oh, okay. I have to remember now. This is, this is a year and a bit ago. <laughs> so they reached out to me. It was kind of a weird week. In the space of a week, I had like four calls from four different people from that team. Um, they all were simultaneously looking for uh, a presenter. And I guess they all found me in their own way because I have an agent. Um, I'm signed on with Past Preservers. And so I had, so they contacted him or he was already talking to them. Um, and at the same time, one of the producers had found uh, my channel, another producer had found me on Instagram and another producer was recommended me from uh, someone working on the show already. So <laughs> in a space of like a week, I had like my ears were just like burning because like everyone was just trying to get hold of me. You must have thought you'd got the job for <laughs> them, you know, calling you up. That's the thing. Like, you know, sometimes when you, you speak to someone and already you can see in their eyes and like, <laughs> you're, you're, you're going to get, you're going to say yes. And you have no choice that like you're going to, yeah. you're going to be on this project. And I was talking to them like, wow, they, that's it. Like the deal's done and I haven't even started speaking yet, <laughs> but um, yeah, it happened. And it's been such an amazing experience meeting. I just love meeting people in general and chatting to people from all walks of life and being able to travel the country and talk about what I love, which is archaeology and then history and engage with the local community. It's just been awesome. Honestly, it's been so much fun. Uh, is, is Hugh, Hugh Dennis presents as well? He is. So he, yeah. so basically Hugh Dennis is like the main man. And then you've got like the team, which is a professor, a professor, sorry, uh, Dr. Chloe Duckworth, Richard Taylor and myself. So we're all archaeologists with different specialisms. And um, so you have us and uh, we do have a team of archaeologists as well. Unfortunately, they don't get as much of the limelight as they should, which is uh, kind of where my YouTube channel comes in. Um, because like when the show would air that weekend, we would do like a live stream. So like a YouTube show, like a chat show. Mm, and yeah. I would get all the archaeologists on who were available that'd come on and, and we'd all just be chatting about what was going on, um, archaeologically speaking, um, because obviously everything that we found in that one week is not going to make a one hour program. It's just mm. not possible. Um, so, yeah, it was good fun. It, it was just so much fun, honestly. Yeah. I didn't realize you can have fun. I just love being paid to have fun. Yeah, <laughs> who wouldn't? Um, so what would be another positive of the industry that you found so far? 
there's, there's something so magical about finding something that's not been seen for hundreds or thousands of years and you just can't put it into words. Sometimes when you touch a piece, a small fragment of pottery and you know no one's seen that um, and you're the first person to see it, there's something that you just can't describe. Um, you just can't, you can't describe it. But it's like bringing that inner child in you and we catch that a little bit in in the show the great british dig yeah i i can almost imagine how that would feel like it's 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 something you know that's it's got some story behind it as well because as soon as you find it you're like there's so many questions that are unanswered about this thing that i've discovered as well so it must be quite incredible to to get your hands on something that's that could that's got its own story and nobody really knows what it is exactly um so what would be some less favorable aspects of this industry less favorable yeah some negative some less favorable things we say less <laughs> favorable because sometimes it sounds better than negative <laughs> <laughs> well how much time have you got <laughs> um the main things uh, being in the commercial sector actually archaeology in general is that it's very competitive there's not enough jobs um there are a lot of individuals who are highly skilled um, and unfortunately there are just not enough jobs out there or on the flip side there's there's so much work available but all the archaeologists have, have changed profession because they're fed up um, of just being a number right so it, especially in the commercial sector um, you have like large influx of archaeologists and graduates coming in for these large projects, like you mentioned uh, with Crossrail or HS2, you'd have mass hiring. But what happens once that project's over? They don't have a job, right? And they're all competing for this for their work in other parts of the country. So I would definitely say uh, job stability, um, the lack of financial stability as well. These two things really are an issue with within archaeology in general and especially commercial archaeology um it's a big problem well we we always talk about salaries so we go away and look for an average salary and see if you would agree with that basically um so we tend to find that archaeologists around um 19 to sort of 22,000 is an average archaeologist salary but like you say I, I guess it completely depends on how many contracts you get you know the length of those contracts so it, it's still a very rough figure yeah it's, it's appalling really um and bearing in mind getting a permanent contract is like gold it's so difficult to get a permanent contract so a lot of these individuals um are on one month contracts two month contracts if they're lucky they'll get a six month contract if they're lucky um and and that's what it is so you can imagine like the, the the stress that you get when you know your contract's coming up will it be renewed sometimes you don't find out until the day itself um so those are the issues that we're kind of dealing with and it's not great especially when you have people who have like two three degrees they have a lot of student debt they need to pay off and um, that's not going to happen on an archaeology <laughs> salary <laughs> um what's something that you would love to achieve in your career is there a site you want to go and dig is there something you want to find oh that's a hard one mm, to be honest I don't have a particular site. I mean, I'd love just to be able to have the opportunity to travel more around the UK and explore um, and understand fully what's going on in, in various time periods. Um, I, I love I love archaeology in general. I don't have a particular niche. Um, I'm quite, I forgot what the word is, 
but like uh I just I just love it all so mm. every situation or every dig has its own uniqueness and I just enjoy it whether that be something post-med so something as late as 1850s to something for, from 4,000 years ago you know I just love it all um so actually I wouldn't say I have a particular site even though I'd love to go to the Orkney Islands um I would really love to go there is that uh, where they found that um site a few years ago and they did a program on it with neil oliver he does he's done quite a few up there oh there, there was they found some site that was way way older than stonehenge and they thought that's where the kind of idea for stonehenge originated or something like that there's one that was i don't know if you saw the recent study um in wales they found the circle the original Stonehenge that has been moved to its current place. Wow. Um, that was like recently they published the information um, finally in the public sphere. Cause obviously it takes ages for it to become public knowledge because of yeah. the process, anything to do with academic stuff. There's a process, right? You got to prove like peer reviewed articles, all this sort of stuff. You have to prove that your data is real yeah. and factual. So it takes a while. I, I could be completely wrong, but I think what they were trying to say with the thing in Orkney was it was of the same kind of civilization. So they thought they had links to the people that were building Stonehenge or something like that. Well, I think it's, I can never pronounce it. It might have been to do with, uh, how do you pronounce it? Scarabra? I've never yes, had- it is yeah. that. Yeah, I, I can't, I couldn't even pronounce it either, <laughs> but it is that. I'm not, I'm not sure if it, I mean, who knows? Who knows? They could have been a part of the same tribe, the same, same group. But I mean, it's it's quite far apart. I mean, it's quite it's quite a theory, isn't it? How they yeah, link that? <laughs> it's quite a distance. Yeah, <laughs> but there are um, a lot of stone circles in the UK. A lot. And would you ever go to Egypt? You know, you you mentioned your first kind of um, love of history and, and archaeology came from your mother's love of you know ancient Egypt and that history. Would you love to go and dig there one day? Well, I've worked in Egypt actually a couple of times. Um, oh, you've done just, it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's so hot. Like, um, <laughs> yeah. it, honestly, I can't deal with the heat. Like, I can't deal with the heat there for what the work that we're doing. Um, it's really difficult. <laughs> it's really yeah. difficult, which is really bad to say. But I mean, it's amazing. But it's just it's sand. There's so much sand. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not as fun as it sounds. Um, it's hard. I mean, it really, it's just a different, I mean, every dig has its own like pros and cons, but something about Egypt when I was there, I was like, I'm going to die. And like, the heat was just too much for me. Yeah, I can imagine it'd be, a, yeah, getting a shovel down there into that sand would be quite, quite, uh, quite scorching. Um, but what would be something that's just not in the job description, something you just never expected when you went into this line of work? Uh, for starters, I'd never realised how physical it was. Um, a lot of people have this like misconception about what we do and how we do it. Like, you know, a trowel and a brush. Yeah, it's not that. You're <laughs> shoveling, you're matticking, you're wheelbarrowing. Like it's, and it's constant. Six, seven hours a day. That's, that's of just the, the labour aspect of what we're doing. Um, and then mentally as well. Like it literally, it's mentally and physically... Um, exhausting sometimes because it's just so much we're thinking about and then we're physically doing it as well and it's just I didn't realize how much this job would physically uh, affect me and my colleagues like it's I love it but man it hurts sometimes 
Um, what's something that somebody listening to this and thinking, I'd love to get into archaeology, what's something they can do, put on their CV or a way to stand out and, and get a job in the industry? That's a really good question. So ooh, there is, depending how old you are, listener, um, if you are 16 years old and younger, there's something called YAC, which is the Young Archaeologist Club. It'll be a great opportunity for you to understand what archaeology is and get some field experience. Um, if you're a bit older, anything from 16 up, um, you can most likely participate in a community excavation. Uh, there are ones that are paid for, for example, like Vindolanda. Um, but I mean, to be honest, even I would pay to dig there. It's amazing. Amazing. <laughs> uh, but uh there are so many different opportunities. Generally, if you can get on a community excavation of some sort, which could be run by the local council, the local archaeological units, um, do it. Try it out. Just be careful. Be, be a bit wary of voluntary work. Do, do not do anything voluntary unless you're going to get something out of it, unless you're going to get a skill. Um, I do recommend you get something called the Badger um, Archaeology Skills Passport, which documents... Um, exactly what skills you're gaining through these voluntary or community digs um, or if you're processing something at an archaeological unit uh, when I say unit I mean company so if you're working at a company or something you can keep track with this little skills passport and it's great because now employees are looking at these skill passports because um, it's kind of like a CV that's literally the best way to describe it. It's like a, a CV that shows, okay, an archaeologist has trained you on this skill, an archaeologist has trained you on that skill and like we rate the development of that skill if they're like a beginner intermediate and they can do it themselves sort of thing and they can train somebody else there's that um there's also in general just reaching out to any sort of local archaeology unit near you um especially if at university and you're looking for an internship you can easily just reach out to them you know find that the info at the company name email and just ask hey you got any intern opportunities like i'd love to learn something it's amazing what you can do by just sending an email or making a phone call. That's awesome. I didn't realize it was actually so accessible to, to get involved with something like this. I mean, it is. You guys could do it. Um, and also like veterans. We threatened well. to do it quite a few times. Like every <laughs> time we have an archaeologist on or like we had Dr. Chris Norton on, who is an uh, Egyptologist. Yeah. He, he has a theory about um, some tombs that he might find in Egypt. So we're packing our bags and ready to go when he is. <laughs> I've got the sunscreen. <laughs> well, where are you guys, where are you guys based? Uh, we're based in Essex. Essex. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Do we have anything over there? The problem is with COVID now. So yeah, like yeah, yeah. All, all the community stuff has uh, kind of gone out the window. It's all virtual now. Well, uh, if you if you over this area and you, you're doing something on whatever, digging, <laughs> let us know and we'll we'll turn up. <laughs> I will. If 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 we get if we get a second series and we have something in Essex, oh, I'll let you I'd know. Absolutely love that. I'll get Jules to bring your spade. <laughs> Boots, yeah. Um, and for you, would you still go into this industry knowing everything you've learned now? Yeah, I guess I would. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> so I have a love hate. I mean, we all have a love hate relationship with it. We love it more. The good outweighs the bad. Good to hear. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Natasha. It's been um, a real pleasure chatting to you, and um, we've learned a lot. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been awesome. Um, where can people find you on social media um, and what you're doing and what you're up to? Sure. Um, where can you find me? Let me think. <laughs> okay. Right. So I have, uh, I'm on Twitter and on Instagram under the 
Oh God, I can't even think. Let me start again. Um, so I'm on Twitter and on Instagram with Tash underscore Archeo is in archaeology. Archaeology spelt with that silent A. And then I also have Behind the Trowel on Instagram and over on YouTube. I do recommend you head over to YouTube to check out some live stream chats, discussions, lectures and webinars over on Behind the Trowel. Um, we had this like awesome um, live show called Archaeologists in Quarantine. Uh, which has been going for a year now um, due to COVID, hence the name. Um, and it's, yeah, just a good, f fun opportunity to meet archaeologists around the world. So you can hit me up on any of those platforms and I'll be happy to discuss archaeology more with you if you're interested. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time, Natasha. Thanks so much. Thank you.